Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. And away we go. Yeah. And away we go. Hello and welcome back to the Stadia Podcast, Naring RC. I'm Moose Wonga. I'm Ryan Han. Ryan, how are we doing? I am all right, thanks, man. See, I how said, are how are we doing? You see that collective? Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I missed that. <laughs> how are we doing? Are we okay? No, we're good. We're good. Are we okay? Are we okay, dude? Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> People are going to think there's like beef. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I just meant, I meant the collective we, the spiritual. Uh, I'm good, actually. I'm good. How's your lino? My lino is, you know, it's, ah. Uh, the other day I just lay, I reclined on it. It's so wonderful. I reclined on it. You reclined on your kitchen floor? I did. I did. It's so clean. That is very existential. It's absolutely, listen, there's a lot of existential stuff going on in the Champions League. Um, I'm very good because I'm enjoying football. And can I just say, I don't like to call people out on this podcast, but <sighs> I will make an exception. Every single person who said that Berlin did not have good food, you clowns. You absolute clowns. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a serious It is a serious, out. listen. You a absolute, serious call out. You absolute clowns, because listen, Ryan, the last two days I've had Jordanian and Lebanese food that has made my head almost spin off its shoulders. So yeah, I'm man. just saying. Berlin's low-key amazing for food. Yeah, so listen, all of you clowns out there who say, oh, we can't eat good in Berlin. Eat somewhere else. This city has the good stuff. Listen, do the work. I don't often name my favourite spots, but I have to, I have to shout out, listen. Don't name them. <laughs> Bleep it out. I had a bit of good food this week as well. I'm not telling you from where. Exactly. My Jordanian, my Lebanese people Listen. holding us down. Thank you. We give thanks. Listen. I don't have much. But what I do have, I'm keeping close to my chest. Uh, anyway, we hope everyone else is staying safe and well, wherever you are in the world. We hope everyone's doing okay. Um, 
We could easily start every single podcast on extremely serious topics or extremely serious notes. Today we're going to just try and focus on the football because we've had a bit of a run of podcasts where there's been some heavy stuff in there. But yeah, we do hope everyone is hanging in there, wherever you are, anyone affected by what's going on. Obviously getting vaccinated if you can, get the booster if you can. Righty's house went up on Wednesday and it was you and I with Righty again. It was. It was fun. Great fun, always. Great fun. Also, if you haven't checked it out, I was on the Ringer F1 podcast with Kevin Clark on Monday. So if you like F1, F1's back this weekend. First race of the season. Go check that out. Uh, I'll have a piece going up on the Ringer as well before the race. So keep an eye out for that. Haven't said it for a while, but if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. And also check the Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. All of the tunes we play out on each episode, newest one at the top. And final shout for the Stadio newsletter. It's going out this weekend, stadio.football. Scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in. On the men's international break, it's going to be a slightly changed schedule. We're going to do Monday and then we won't do the, the Thursday or the following Monday because you and I have got to travel for some work stuff. And mm. uh, there will be righties houses within that. And then we'll be back the Thursday before men's club football returns. So slight change to the schedule. We'll confirm it all on Monday. But yeah. All right. So today we're going to talk Champions League. We are indeed. And a couple of league fixtures that happened or a few league fixtures really. Obviously, Arsenal, Liverpool, Brighton, Spurs. But yeah, let's get into the Champions League first after this. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, man, where would you like to begin? Because I was going to suggest starting in Turin. I was. Good, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. Wow. Big contrarian energy. Book me for your talk show to debate someone on something pointless. Debate me, debate me. Oh no, you're cancelling me, Ryan. You're cancelling me. But Moose, you've got an oh, audience. Wish, of, oh, you're cancelling. <laughs> I wish I could cancel you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the reason I wanted to start into Rim was because everyone's had a little bit of time to digest the Manchester United Atleti result. But also in the grand scheme of things, I think this is a bigger result in the competition. Without question. Villarreal and Juve drew one all in the first leg. In the second leg, it was probably Juve who had the better chances for the first hour or so. Nothing super clear cut, I don't think. There was the Vlajevic one that went off the bar yep. in the first half. And the great save by Rudy from Morata. Yeah, great save. Poor Andrea Agnelli, man. He was right all along. <laughs> really was. <laughs> we should offer subscriptions for the last 15 minutes of football matches. That is really, that's an incredible, incredible quote. That's the thing he said, didn't he? when all the Super League stuff was going on, because that is where it all really started to ramp up. Yeah. A penalty in the 78th minute after a foul on Francis Coquelin, which was dispatched by Gerard Moreno. Chesney got a touch on it. He did. And maybe... It wasn't the greatest penalty. No, and it's one of those ones where you think, Chesney will really watch it and maybe think, I, I'm annoyed I didn't save that. Mm. 
I'm not saying he's saying he should have saved it, but he may think he. But actually, can I just quickly say about this um, in relation to Villarreal and really in goal? Argentina are slyly building quite a dangerous World Cup squad. If that is your number two, if a player like that comes to Turin in a knockout tie and puts in a performance like that, and that's your number two for Argentina, he kept, his, he kept goal as well as Romero has done. And Romero was a number one for a long time. Emmy Martinez is keeping him out. Like, I watched that guy playing and I was like, only a player of the quality of Martinez keeps that person out for starting spot four for their mm. country because he was outstanding. And maybe, well, certainly from, and I have not given this, this goalkeeper his props, but I want to put that right. Geronimo really was outstanding in this game. And just, not just the saves, but the confidence that he conveyed. You're up against Murata and Vlaevic. These are two players whose movement is extremely good. The kind of angles you're having to narrow to keep the game tight until it gets to a decisive period and phase. And on a night where he was outstanding in goal, Chesney was perhaps, I wouldn't say subpar for the, for, for the concession, but you look at it again and think, ah, oh, like I wish I'd been beaten by a better penalty, I think. Mm. Is it fair to say that? I, yeah. You know. I think that's fair. And on on Ruli, it's like you made a good point because only two keepers in, well, no, only one keeper in La Liga has had more clean sheets this season. Uh, Thibaut Courtois has had the same amount, 12. And Alex Romero at Real Sociedad has had 15. And, and that Villarreal side, they've got the third best defensive record in La Liga. Defensively, that was a major part of getting through the tie. But the wild thing is, I was, watch, I was watching this game and, and it was funny because you see the scoreline and... I mean, the XG is interesting too, like 2.66 to Villarreal, 1.52 to Juve. Two penalties though. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I thought to myself, you watch this game and you think, it was not a 3-0. Like it really was no, not. No, no, it, was it was not. not. This was not a 3-0. This was, this was not, this was barely a 1-0 actually. It was, I mean, the open, the open play XG was 0.74 to Juve and 0.41 to Villarreal. I'm surprised it was that high for Villarreal. Like, just because they were like, they're such a shock absorber of a team. And I don't say that, and I'm not trying to be like mean to say that. They're such a shock absorber. If you look at the tie and how this tie, the arc of it, because I watched the first leg too, and this was interesting because they took the lead so early through Vlajevic. And that's actually, it's arguably the last time Juventus enjoyed themselves over two legs. And the, the slightly worrying thing for opponents of Villarreal coming up is that Unai Emery might have cracked the Champions League. And when I say might have cracked it, I don't mean they're going to like, they're going to win. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like he's worked out how to, to get past big opposition because this is such a big result. This is a huge victory. If someone had said you're going into this tie, that the outcome would be 4-1, uh, the winners would be, would, 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 would triumph 4-1. You'd be like, oh yeah, like two for Vlajevic, one for Morata. Two for Morata. Yeah, 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 two for Exactly. But to see this, you're like, oh my goodness. And by the end of it, it's interesting. Juventus looked thoroughly defeated. Yeah, I mean, um, Pau Torres got the second on 85 minutes. I liked his celebration where he went running the wrong way and did this windmill 180. And then when you remember the fans were. Yeah. turned around. <laughs> when you remember where the fans were. And then a final penalty for Danjuma in the second minute of stoppage time after a handball on Matej Delic. Sealed it. This felt a little bit more like a smash and grab in because of the scoreline mm. like you mentioned yeah Juve should have done better in that first leg yeah really should really should Juve had done to them what they've been doing to teams oh for much yeah. of their time in Europe this is the I, irony this I can't the- remember who tweeted it <laughs> forgive me but like um, someone said that Emery out Allegri is Allegri oh this is the most Juventus performance mm. I've seen from a non-Juventus team in a while yeah yeah Juve's record over the last few years 
So what, round of 16 now, round of 16 last season, round of 16 the year before, quarterfinals the year before that, quarterfinals the year before that. So that's their last five Champions Leagues. It feels significant that all Italian teams are out at this point. Yeah, and also it's worth shouting out La Liga because three La Liga sides through to the last eight. Rumours of my demise are greatly exaggerated. I think that's been really intriguing because I think a lot of people, including us, were, had, had an eye on La Liga this season and just thought this isn't, this isn't looking vintage in terms of equality. It's vintage in terms of fun. But it doesn't, it doesn't look like the best quality La Liga that we've seen for a while. I mean, we'll talk about Atleti in a little bit, but the fact that the sides are progressing through, maybe it's not quite as bad as we thought. In fairness to critics of La Liga, it has not been a vintage season, I think, because there are a couple of clubs in transition. Well, we're, we're not there, but this is, you know, these are clubs in particular state of transition. But I think also we have to bear in mind that, you know, an Atletico Madrid team mm. with everything on the line is the most dangerous Atleti of all. We've seen that <laughs> many years now. So this was always why I felt they might prevail against United because this is basically the only thing they've got left going for them this season, their progress in this tournament. Real Madrid have reconfigured under Ancelotti very, very well indeed, um, both at league and European level. So this progress is not a huge surprise. Villarreal is the one that I look at and think. Yeah. I'm, I'm slightly surprised they made it through. But it's great for the tournament. It's great for the tournament. I think so too. I'm, I'm always up for mixing up the teams throughout the knockout stages. One side that did go through as expected was Chelsea after being Lille 2-1 in Lille. Mm. Although they had a little bit of a scare. Perek Yilmaz put Lille ahead with a penalty in the first half. Christian Pulisic equalised just before half time. It was a lovely goal actually. And Grant Wall made a good point that despite not really locking down a place, and I don't think we've seen the best of Christian Pulisic at Chelsea consistently. No, that's true. Pre-injury, maybe. He has come up with some big goals for Chelsea. Yeah. That goal before half-time was huge for them because if Lille get in 1-0 at half-time, there's only a goal in it on aggregate. You know, they did make Chelsea work for it. Aspilicueta sealed it with about 20 minutes to go. But uh, I think Thomas Tucker will be extremely happy with that, especially with everything that's going on at Chelsea at the moment. And you know, in fact, he kept he came out afterwards and was, really engaging with the fans and I think everything around Chelsea at the moment with what's going on off the pitch has really forged this kind of us against them mentality on it. They're quite unified fans and players at the moment and I think it's gonna you know we haven't really heard anything about Lukaku for a few days. Yeah that's true. We haven't heard about any of the players specifically because there are bigger issues at play and the fans I think are just really focusing on trying to help the team as much as possible. Yeah, and there's there's also like I mean this the thing they're the, they're the reigning European champions. They are, and that always and that always adds an intangible amount of swagger to everything you do. I still mm. I still think that the loss, like I still think you know Reese James hopefully gets back soon. Um, the the long term absence of, of Ben Chilwell is such a problem for them. Yeah, it's such a problem. There's a moment actually when Alonso has a chance late on, but I think it's saved or goes wide, and Tuchel turns away, and it's like I'm looking thinking. Chilwell scores that. Like Chilwell's, Chilwell's goal scoring, and this is the thing I, I talk about a lot only because the, what, what Tuchel's trying to do at Chelsea is such a finely tuned enterprise mm. and Chilwell was just integral to it. And it was, it was a bit frustrating because every time I watch Chelsea, I think he would add 20% down that flank. Um, and I think it's one of those areas where they might fall short in the end, to be honest. I think their creativity from wide areas might be a problem in the later stages, but we'll see. Yeah, Chelsea through, as are Benfica. Now, this was a little bit of a smash and grab from Benfica against Ajax away on Tuesday. 
Uh, Ajax had 69% of the ball. Can I say this about Ajax? Do you know what it frustrated? It reminded me so much of, it's the finishing, Ryan. I think it yeah, was the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, they had so many chances. They had 16 shots, two on target um, with an XG of 1.29. The problem that I had, though, was that it didn't really feel like they created Quality anything huge. Yeah they, they, yeah, they were all kind of like that Anthony header, but it was from about 13, 14 yards, and he's not the biggest dude in the world. There was the one that Haller had, I think, in the second half, which I think he could have done better with, but he might have strayed offside. And there were a couple of poorly timed runs, a couple of offsides. The one in injury time at the end, uh, who had it? Rob, can't sorry. remember, but they, he strayed offside. But I don't think this is a gigantic upset. I think I, this is a, yeah. I think because of how impressive Ajax were in the group stage, that's what makes it a little bit surprising. But after that first leg in Lisbon, there was no way that Ajax were just going to, maybe not no way, but I think that that should have been a sign to people that actually these, cl- these sides are actually closer together than maybe you think. Yes, and that's fair. That's fair. You know, Benfica are, they've been, they've been a problem for a while. They put in some really impressive performances um, tournament, and they always look likely for some kind of upset. The frustration with Ajax is because there's been so much talk about the brilliance of the coaching. Obviously off the field, they've had extremely grim issues, you know, the departure of Mark Overmars. Mm. And so this is a disappointing end to a campaign, both on and off the field, I think. Benfica just closed them out. Like you said, they didn't create good chances. Like they, and there's one thing I wanted to say, watching Ajax in this game, it's really interesting, just a general point. It's really interesting how bad finishing can be contagious in a team. Mm. Isn't it? Like when someone puts a header over, they should have got on target or a shot narrowly over. And then people start looking around for like, who's the player who's going to make the breakthrough. And we talk a lot about the need for strikers and like clinical finishers and all the rest of it. But it is striking that there are some players who in certain conditions just don't let that affect them. And of course, we know the danger of not finishing is that you keep, you allow teams to keep close. You allow teams, we saw it with PSG. We've seen it with Ajax. We saw it with Juventus. If you allow teams that have not quite together to hang in the tie at this level, they're going to come for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really anything super smart. It's not profound. What I'm yeah. saying, yeah, but like, I, I totally agree. Like, for example, we'll talk about it in a minute, but there was, if the Alanga chance in the Man United-Atleti game goes in, that's a different game completely. Yep. Taking big chances or creating big chances in games. You saw it in Man City against Palace the other night. You know, how many times they hit the post? I think when you're getting half chances mm. in games, it can be quite hard to build the momentum. It's almost a bit deceiving. You feel like you're creating something, but actually you're not. You're not really creating anything. We'll talk about it later as well, but I think that was something that Liverpool found a little bit difficult against Arsenal was that I think they had fewer touches in Arsenal's box than they have against any opposition in the league this season. So being able to create those real clear-cut opportunities, I mean, how many times have we seen Liverpool just start to ramp up pressure they're getting loads of opportunities they're hitting the post they're missing chances like from six seven yards out keepers are making great saves i think with ajax they didn't create enough of that momentum, momentum. yeah you didn't feel the goal was coming you never felt yeah. the goal was coming and and in darwin nunez you know you've got a guy who scored what 22 in portugal he's i think he's got four in the champions league this season now he can hurt you and i thought it was quite telling actually that the goal that they did score was a chance that ajax 
could have created with someone like Haller up front. And they struggled to create those opportunities. And the difference, the main difference was Benfica had the fewer chances, but they took the one that mattered. And sounds massively cliche, but in terms of the overall philosophical kind of like, is Ten Hag the man for Manchester United kind of thing? I don't buy any of that. And also the question is, is, is Manchester United in a good enough state for Ten Hag? That's the real well, yeah, question. Exactly. I mean, should we move on to that game? Very quickly, yeah. Or just do you want to talk, do, do you want to finish on that? Just very quickly on, on Darren Nunez. This player's only 22 years old. <laughs> and for the last few years has averaged basically a goal every two games, as well as being a holy terror to defend against. And, you know, obviously he gets to play for Benfica and he gets to live in Lisbon. So those are two incredible things. Those are <laughs> Having said that, this is so jealous. This is I, listen. I'm extremely jealous um, of, in both aspects of someone that gets to play for Benfica and live in Lisbon. At the same time, that is someone who people will be looking to lure away sooner rather than later. So mm-hmm. good luck to that club. Good luck to Benfica and holding on to Darwin Nunes because he's a credit to that team. But he is a hot property. But yeah, on Manchester United, on Manchester, on Atletico Madrid. Yeah, let's talk about Manchester United, Atleti, because I posted a tweet saying that. It has been a long time since we've seen a performance like a vintage Atleti 1-0. This was quite vintage. It wasn't full vintage no, it wasn't. by any means. But there were, there were signs of the old Atleti vintage because this is not a performance that we've seen from Atleti regularly over the last couple of years, I'd say. Mm. Maybe even further back, but definitely over the last couple of years. I said at halftime in the first leg, that I felt Atleti's performance was the best in a big game that I've seen this season, probably since the Betis game at home. Mm. Over the course of the whole tie, I think Atleti have delivered two of their best performances of the season. Yes, yes. But both have been different. Yes. Psychologically, tactically, both extremely different. Now, I think the key thing to mention with Atleti is Marcos Llorente playing inside for Atleti allows you to do what they do in the first leg, 70, 80 minutes. Yep. And when he plays outside, you don't get the same dynamism because I think, I think you lose, I think, look, I'm not saying he can't play as a wingback or a fullback, he can. He excels there, he excelled there again. It's just that you lose so much. And when he's not inside, here's the thing about Simeone. In, in one sense, he's tactically complex, in another sense, he's not. He, for him, it's all about trust. And if you don't, and actually this is where he's very similar to Zidane, right? If Zidane can't get a certain thing from a player who's not in the team, he will just reconfigure and just not play an expansive style because he doesn't trust anyone else to do that. It's why he's had problems with certain playmakers who've left the club, like James Rodriguez, Odegaard before he was fully mature. And the same with Urente, because Vishalko was missing for the second leg. So a couple of things Simeone must have been looking at. First of all, we're away from home. So we go back to defensive Atleti. And secondly, we don't have such a dynamic player inside. So let's just go conservative. And so what that meant for this tie was the, the free-flowing Atleti that we saw, the intense Atleti of the opening stages was not fully present. And we never really saw them take match control. And at a certain point in the game, about half an hour in, I almost sent a tweet saying, why don't Atleti just come out and play football? Because that's where they've been most compelling this season. But of course, come 90 minutes, you're like, well, that's why they didn't, because they knew what they were doing and they had a plan. Yeah, but also the, the few times where they broke... They broke with such precision yep, and, yep. and direction that they looked more dangerous every time they broke, especially in that second half where just let Man United had the ball for ages, mm. packed to the edge of the box. And then there was a couple of times when 
two passes and they were out and they were yeah. dangerous. And yeah. they did that a couple of times in the first half because they had that the offside goal, which was lovely. Such a good oh, goal. Oh, yes. So welcome. They didn't need, actually, again, Llorente playing the overlap. I mean, they didn't need to be offside. He didn't need to be offside no. for that. He went early. It's one of the few times he makes a bad decision, actually. In going yeah, slightly delayed pass, though, as well. Um, yeah, yeah. From Koke. But I think um, they did that a couple of times in the first half where all of a sudden they were out down that right-hand side. The warning signs were there for United. And Alex Tellers just couldn't really deal with, like when Griezmann, Griezmann drifted out, Marcus Llorente was coming round. There was a lot of there was a lot to deal with out on that side, and I think he could have done with a little bit more help. Griezmann um, drifting out, so he effectively got like a midfield six at one point. <laughs> I actually thought he was really good. He was. He's always Griezmann. Like he loves this tournament. Like his work rate, and also he's, he's been listening to Stadio because he's wearing number eight. He's got a sensible haircut as well. Sensible haircut, Griezmann. Different incarnation. Listen. <laughs> no, but only because, listen, look, people can have the hair they want, but it's just interesting that like Griezmann is one player who's like, whose hair seems to correspond with his, his performances. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was are all, you going to be serious or are you going to be? Yeah, it was all Buffon and he was yeah. dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great cross by him. Yeah. The goal, the actual Atleti goal was beautiful. It was a counter attack. The only reason I'm sad there's no way goals in this tie is because the Atleti goal was a classic away goal. In terms of the kind of the counter they broke, the touch, the back heel by the cross ankle back heel. There's two types of back heel in football. There's the one where like you just did the normal back heel and we cross your ankles for it. It's just, it's, it looks a bit classier. The way that um, Jao Felix played him in and the right foot cross, so crossing with the wrong foot and just the vision to get it up and across like that. And Lottie coming in with the movement and the finish of a centre forward, actually. It was such a great goal. Like it's, it's actually, you know, it's a good enough goal that you could be seeing it on sort of highlight reels the next couple of years. Do you know what I uh, thought when that happened? Do you remember when Lodi was winding up Jal Felix for not scoring enough goals and then Jal Felix scored that goal and pointed to the bench and essentially said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I didn't see remember? that. No, I didn't see that. It was last season. <laughs> That's I, amazing. There was, part, there was part of me that was thinking, oh, I really wanted Lodi to turn around to Jal Felix and be like, shut your fucking mouth. That's incredible. Shut, you know, like give it him back. <laughs> the use of a back here, we saw Totti do it with the Euro 2000 final. It just changes the direction of the tempo so cleverly. It's such a clever tactical trick. And what I love about Joao Felix in recent months is just he's thriving off, you know, we talk about players feeding off scraps and like it's a bad thing. And it often is, especially for a player like Joao Felix, who would thrive, I think, with more of the ball. But I think also there's a thing about him that he, he loves the efficiency with which he's been forced to perform. It was I, actually very I, much yeah, like Griezmann. I think so, actually. It's like Griezmann. You remember like Griezmann on that yeah. run in like 2015, 2016, deep into the Champions League, scoring away at Bayern, getting like, when you know, Atleti's XG was like 0.00002, but Griezmann <laughs> would always score. And so Joao Felix reminds me of Griezmann when he was on that run, where you're getting absolutely nothing and making absolutely everything. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the refereeing in this game. The ref seemed reluctant to give cards at certain points. Yeah. Not entirely sure what that was about. I was 100% that Rodrigo de Paul was going to get sent off in this game. As soon as he got that one yellow, I was just like, he's 100% getting a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. The ref was quite bad. I don't think it cost United the game by any means. No, I think the ref was passive. I don't, I don't think the ref was bad. I think, I think it was passive in relation to, to giving cards. And in a game like this, where Atleti were playing the way they were playing, giving more cards would have benefited Manchester United. Having said all that, Manchester United's inability to generate really good opportunities, with the exception of Fred, who again was extremely strong, especially in the first half. You know, 
Fred in this Fred in the last sort of few games has really shown. I think mean, I mentioned before why Pep Guardiola was apparently really after him. He's really really shown up in the last. Yeah, few I mean the Fred discourse was great on Twitter during this game. A lot of people saying Fredondo. Fredondo, yeah, very, that's amazing. Very into. That's an amazing. I think if anything, you know, it's, it's, it's Fred actually has. If any player has suffered, if any Brazilian player has suffered from not having a name of multiple syllables. Yeah, Fred's the one. It's Fred, it's Fred. Fred suffered from that. Uh, what I would say as well is the subs from Rangnick did not serve him well. I mean, Juan, Juan Mata playing a Champions League knockout tie in 2022 for Manchester United. Who would have thought it? Yes, well, this is the... You know, Paul Pogba came on and didn't, didn't affect the play much, positively. No. Didn't did not did not. The most impressive was actually Matic, Matic yeah. pushing the ball forward and showing some purpose. Uh, actually, looking, I was like, has Matic got slightly quicker? <laughs> he also did a, a kind of a mini Cesc Fabregas where he just doinked the ball off Jalfi. Yes. <laughs> you know what, what's weird about this game though? Atleti looked at United and probably thought prior to the game, mm, actually, we really had the measure of them in the first leg. They got that equalised Malanga, but you know, we'll take that. And Malanga obviously like, had a chance, but it came off, like, I think came off um, Oblak's face, Oblak's face, mm. but well positioned. Oblak was well positioned for it anyway. Oblak got more impl- impressive as the game went on. Oblak to push us back. Oh, so there's a, as a, that, that was the uh, Spanish football podcast. That, that he was back because he's not been good for a while. No, he hasn't. I think this is the thing about the whole Atleti stuff. Like, no, this performance from Atleti has not been a regular occurrence over the last couple of years. It hasn't. Like, even though they won the league last season, they were extremely wobbly. And they've been extremely wobbly at numerous points this season. And Oblak has gone from being one of the best keepers in La Liga, one of the best keepers in the world, if not the best keeper in the world for a, for a small amount of time, to not being probably one of the top five, six keepers in La Liga this season. On the whole. He's had a wobble. Wobblack. <laughs> Wobblack, there we go. <laughs> uh, anyway, he was brilliant in this game. He made that double save, what, well, double save, one really, really good save, and then he got up quick and then caught the second. I saw you and Seb stafford Blore having some discourse about that on the, uh, what was the reference Seb made? He referenced to Randy Moss. He said he caught the overhead kick from Ronaldo <laughs> like Randy Moss, which I thought was an incredible reference. Incredible reference. And <laughs> the, sad thing is, the sad thing is, I didn't retweet it because I thought, but maybe football Twitter's too old to get this. Thought we're too old. If I retweet that, people will be like, oh, like, who's Randy Moss? <laughs> oh, oh, the age. Oh, the age. Um, okay, so rounding up on this, we've talked about Atleti in great depth. From a Manchester United perspective, I don't think this was the big shock horror, oh my God, we need to break it all down result. They needed to break it all down before that anyway. I was a little bit, I'd say a little bit taken aback by the whole existential discourse around the result. Owen Hargreaves being like, need people like Paul and Rio in there. No, they don't actually, because that has been the problem for a long, long time at Manchester United. Do you know who else has it sometimes? Dortmund have a similar problem where Vatska, the CEO at Dortmund, so often references the Klopp years and it's like, you need to let that go. Mm. Was it Rilo Ren? Rilo Ren. Kylo Ren says, let the past die. Right. Let it go. But we're never, and, and this is yeah. the thing about Manchester United, I think, is so much, yeah, you need a manager with fear. And I don't think they mean fear in the traditional sense of like everyone is afraid of the manager. 
but still that no you need to like have someone in there that's going to command respect yeah I mean we know this I think they this do, is a no, decade I, no, on I, this is, no I'm sorry I'm sorry to be harsh I think they do mean fear oh like the halls shall tremble at the mention of his name like I think that's really the energy they're expecting but the problem is I was looking at this and I thought when I see ex-players sitting there and lamenting the current state of the team I was like you're not actually lamenting the current state of the team you're lamenting the time that has passed that is a dangerous place to be as an institution, as an organisation. And the thing about other clubs, they don't have so much background noise. That's just, that's inevitable. It was the same with Liverpool for a long time. But the thing is, the sad thing with United is every single thing I feared about the post-Ferguson years has kind of come true. I remember thinking, what they're going to do is they're not going to get the appointments right at the next manager and they will cling to nostalgia like a life raft like a life raft and the failure to appoint um, Pep Guardiola and then to prepare the club in such a way that Jürgen Klopp felt it was a club that he would, might want to get involved. The failure to do that in both cases, absolutely awful. And there was nothing inevitable. There was, this is the thing, it was possible at certain points to attract both of those talents and everyone knew what they would produce. It's very, very difficult to say that people are nailed on to have success, right? But Pep Guardiola in 2013 and Jurgen Klopp then a couple of years after that are two of the surest bets in world football, if you give them resources, to deliver titles in the long run. They're just, they're just that good. Yeah, and structure and, inf- and like structure, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. infrastructure, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Because yeah, I think just, that's the thing yeah. that's, that's really it's like, difficult. That's what I mean. Yeah. United did not create a structure. And they talk about having a new chief executive. Well, no, he's one of the best friends of like the last guy. It's a Spider-Man meme. It's the same person. Yes, yeah, there was a, I saw a video, I didn't, I didn't even bother clicking, like how far Manchester United from a major trophy. Well, unless they win you know, a knockout. I think, I think, unless I they think, win a knockout. Well, yeah, I think the question title, is who right? knows really. Because there's going to be huge turnover in the summer, number of players out of contract. I would imagine that Cristiano Ronaldo leaves. I would imagine Paul Pogba leaves. Jesse Lingard, gone. Matic, out of contract. Matter out of contract. And then there's a load of them next season that are out of contract to the end of next season as well, like De Gea, Luke Shaw, players like that, multiple players. Manchester United just need a massive restructure. You don't need... You don't need right. You don't need the fifth side in the Premier League who could become the sixth place side in the Premier League if a team below them wins their game in hand. You don't need... If they, if they go out of the Champions League round of 16 to the side who won La Liga last year and are currently fourth recovering from a poor start to the season, that is not the catalyst. Or that should not be the catalyst to be like, everything is wrong, we need to fix this. Yeah, yeah. It's been there for ages. You don't need half an hour after the game talking about, like, why is Jose Mourinho's name coming up when Manchester United have been knocked out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid in 2022? Nostalgia. It's just like, what's happening? Nostalgia. That is part of the problem with Manchester United. The inability to focus on this specifically. Everything is gigantic. And actually, no, going out in the round of 16 to Atleti, it isn't, feel a little bit disrespectful saying this if they'd gone out to Benfica maybe you can look at some wider reasons but this is just where they are and everyone knows this they could have nipped through if the uh, Alanga goal goes in because that's a little like you said it is good positioning from Oblak but it's also a lot of luck Mm. slightly better decision making in a couple of other areas 
They could have nicked a goal. The game could have been different. They've gone out 1-0. They've gone out by a single goal. They've not been, they've not gone out like 6-1 six, six, on aggregate. They haven't handed, handed them like Barcelona did. Exactly. That was an existential crisis. There was no real talk about the stuff that Atleti did right, which I think they did a lot right in this game. From Simeone, it was really, really encouraging to see his side be able to dig out a result in this way because he struggled to tap into that old school muscle memory from Atleti as the side has evolved technically. And we've said before, he seems caught in these two, caught between these two ideals. Yeah, I don't think this game told you anything more about Manchester United than you didn't already know. Mm. So it's not a catastrophe. No. It's the, the, the thing is, is because I think this obviously was, it's, it's the final hope of a trophy this season, but they were never going to win the Champions League. I don't think. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think they, they thought they would either. Um, a lot of criticism here for um, Bruno Fernandes and his performance. What I would say about that is this. Atleti is the worst possible matchup for someone of his playing profile mm. because he loves to hit the early pass, but Atleti don't give you the early pass. So then what happens is you get frustrated and you just release it. So he's always going to look, you know, he lost the ball quite a few times in this game. Oh, in this tie, actually, I think there was a video going, going on a compilation of like several, you know, several times he particularly lost the ball. Atleti do that. And I think patient playmaking is a key feature for United. And actually, funnily enough, the player that could be criticised for not providing patient playmaking is probably Paul Pogba. And he was on the bench. And it's a damning indictment, I have to say. This is the... And I say this as someone who has looked at Pogba for a long time and as, as a remarkable talent. When you were until recently the most expensive player, most expensive player in the world, or you were, you know, for a certain time, and you can't make it off the bench for a knockout in the Champions League. When not making, when you're starting on the bench, sorry, for a knockout in the Champions League, it's fair to say you you don't have a future at that club, even if you're looking to renew. And I think a real frustration, I think, looking at Pogba and the peak and what he's produced, and how his career has gone at Manchester United. And it's down to the player partly as well, yes. But this is really a player I look at and just go, if there's ever a player, like you look at like you know, Marcus Rashford as well, Paul Pogba, there are certain coaches I wish that he'd worked with at his peak. Like during the two or three years where he was really set to like take off. And I've, we've always talked about like, I wish this player had worked with Pep. I wish this player had worked with Klopp. But I really, really feel I wish this player had worked with either of those two. Yeah, I mean, it's a little of column A, a little of column B. Isn't it is, it, it I is, think yeah. there, is a, there is a bit of responsibility on the player for sure, but I think there's been so much turnover. So and, much turnover. And insecurity as a whole at that football club for such a few years. I have a little bit of sympathy with some of the players because I just think that they've been through so many weird little evolutions. And even mm. when Solskjaer came in, for example, it fixed the, the vibe, but there were too many vibes. Yes, 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 yes. But anyway, before we move on from the Champions League, mm. Let's revisit our predictions. Ah, oh, okay, let's do it. And if there's one thing that has come out of this, it is that Musa Arkwanga knows ball. Oh gosh, really? I didn't know. <laughs> Ryan Hunt does not know ball. I've forgotten my own takes. Yeah, but you know, I'm laughing on my own uh, Ryan Bayern, that's what it says. Ryan Bayern, Man City, Ajax. Chelsea, Atleti, Juve, Liverpool, PSG. So I was incorrect on one, two, three. So I got five out of eight. Mm. Musa Arkwanga, by Munich, through. Manchester City, through. Ajax, not through. Chelsea, through. Atleti, through. Villarreal, 
through. <laughs> Liverpool, through. Real Madrid, through. Seven out of eight from Musa Kwonga. Ryan, if only I actually bet money. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't bet. I don't bet. Sportsman's um, bet. They're the best ones. They're a nice, Congrats, they're a nice well time. Well done. The thing is, like, I don't remember some of those takes, but I think, I think... It's like the Righty's House Christmas quiz when yeah. you were having an absolute nightmare. I didn't remember half the things I'd said. You, you, oh, I, I feel so bad because I was the quiz master and Moose's face, he was just like, I can't even remember my own takes. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, so we'll talk about the draw on Monday. Yeah, looking for, yeah, definitely. It'd be fun. Yeah. I really enjoy the Champions League draw. I just really enjoy seeing those names just arrive. I don't know why. It's, maybe it was a childlike excitement. Um, I always, like, I mentioned this quote so many times before, but I love it so much. The great Hugh McIlvanny, the Champions League, what was it he said? A Champions League quarterfinal draw so sizzling, it should have been made with an oven glove. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Oh my goodness. The boss of the turn of phrase. We got everything on the Champions League. We're done? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. All right, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, before we move on, Musakwanga, we had a quick email from Tyler from Dallas. And Tyler has emailed us a few questions recently. We've missed them all. So I wanted to give him a shout out on this. Thanks, Tyler. Sorry, we keep missing your questions. Uh, he said, hey guys, can we get five minutes on the pod for Musa to address your comments from the Ringer F1 pod, <laughs> where Ryan says that he is the botas to Musa's Lewis Hamilton. Because for someone who lets out unspeakably inflammable takes as Musa, brackets, see the Zlatan take. <laughs> I mean, Tyler, the thing is, you don't even know what that take is. Oh my goodness. That's, no one's ever hearing that. Uh, that is going to stay sealed, as sealed as uh, Ferrari's FIA ruling that season where they found something naughty with the engine. No one's known about it since. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Ferrari lost a hell of a lot of speed. Tyler says, I think a much more well-mannered Yuki Tsunoda could be a more apt uh, comparison for Musa. Uh, yeah, but Musa's not a rookie. <laughs> well, you know, Musa's well. been doing it a long time. You wouldn't know from the amateurish <laughs> stuff that gets on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so, so for those who haven't heard it, I, Kevin Clark was trying to be mischievous. We were talking about awkward press conferences and he was just like, imagine, you know, you're in a press conference with your biggest professional rival. Who's that? Musa. And I was just like, what though? <laughs> like Musa is very much... The Lewis Hamilton, which is and nonsense. I'm the Valtteri Bottas. Such, I heard that and I thought this is, this is the biggest nonsense. 
Ryan, if I <laughs> the day I have to compete with you for anything is the day I retire. Frankly, the day no, I, what you talk about. Yeah, I think that's the beauty about our relationship is that there's uh, we don't compete. We don't so, need to. I, I, does, listen, does, Lewis Ham, does Lewis Hampton full start all the time? Does he? No. Does he? Well, that, then I'm not Lewis Hamilton, am I? You I'm not Lewis Hamilton. Start. What are you talking about? Oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> Uh, my entire career is a full start. Anyway, sorry, carry on, carry on. Listen, I keep, I keep sticking it in the wall. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh God. Actually, that's a better analogy. As an artist, I think I'm, so, I'm, I'm a free kick taker who frequently puts it into the wall. That's it. I'm that certain. Anyway, <laughs> don't talk about yourself like that. <laughs> Musa is very much a Lewis Hamilton to my Valtteri <laughs> Bottas. But quickly before we move on, I saw something really funny on Twitter this morning. Uh, Time Out posted a thing saying a, lo- a lost Atlantis is about to be uncovered off the Yorkshire coast. And someone followed it up with a reply just calling it Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> and Twitter handle was Muck Bazface. Very funny. <laughs> Anyway, let's yeah. talk about some midweek games. So very quickly in Germany, um, Borussia Dortmund beat Mainz 1-0 in the Bundesliga. They're four points behind uh, Bayern. They still have to play each other, although it is in Munich and Dortmund haven't won their in league since 2014. So this was a not particularly fun apart from the last five or six minutes. Axel Witzel getting the winner. Yeah, it was important for Dortmund to keep the pressure on Bayern at the top, who, whilst playing some good stuff, have also been a bit patchy. In the Frauen Bundesliga, Wolfsburg had their game in hand against Sand and they won it and they are top of the Frauen now. They've, they're a point clear of Bayern. The Women's Super League, Chelsea beating Everton 3-0, Manchester City beating Reading 2-0 and West Ham drawing with Manchester United. So Chelsea two points behind Arsenal with the game in hand. Manchester United third on 32 points. Manchester City have a game in hand on Manchester United and they are three points behind but with an inferior goal difference. So, let's go to the Premier League before we wrap. Yeah, let's do it. Spurs beat Brighton 2-0. Harry Kane set the record for the most away goals scored by anyone in the Premier League. He's had 95. I think he also equaled the record for scoring with his weaker foot, which is interesting. His passing in this game was supernatural. Mm. He's such a beautiful pass of the ball. He's as good a pass the ball as a striker we've seen for for a good while actually um, inside and outside of the foot just uh, gorgeous to watch Brighton are on a horrid run of form that's six straight defeats for Brighton they are while I don't think they're going to be dragged into the bottom they're way too far out it's going to be interesting to see how the discussions go about Graham Potter I'm being charitable because I really think that that's a goal scoring issue for them yeah, and they'll have a new signing coming in that season. Yeah, I just think Undav is not to yeah. not put too much pressure on him arriving, but I think that a lot of these problems go away if Brighton have a striker. If you give any one of like, if you give Brighton a striker from any one of like eight Premier League teams, not obviously the one the most expensive ones, but let's say a few immediately below, if you give Brighton any one of like eight strikers, we're not having this conversation mm. about their slide in form. It really is. It's very rarely you can attribute a team struggles to one particular aspect, but I really think the finishing is a reliable goal scorer. is just a huge thing for them. Uh, I suppose I've just got a game in hand now on West Ham and Manchester United, but they're two points behind Manchester United. So if they win the game in hand, they go fifth. Arsenal, Liverpool, 
Oh, Two to Liverpool. This game. It was a good game, I thought. It was so frustrating because I look at it and go, people aren't going to know how good Arsenal were until Liverpool scored. Arsenal were so good in the first half. I said this, I said, look, if Arsenal produce the same first half they produced against City in terms of style, we're going to see something special. And they were so, so good here. They, the chances they created, the amount of times they got Saka in isolation out on the flank against his fullback, the amount of times where Virgil van Dijk looked, I would say, you know, so body language, but not worried, but concerned, I would say. And Odegaard and Saka's combination, there was one moment, might be talked at, but Odegaard's weight of passing mm. betrayed him just the once. Maybe it's because the ball held up on that surface because it was quite wet, I think. The ball held up. But if he'd played that inside the fullback, it was game on. And the way Saka was moving with such ease, honestly, I just thought Arsenal lost intensity after the first goal for Liverpool. And it was, it yeah, was actually did. quite, they lost they intensity. Lost, they lost a little bit of intensity after half time because Liverpool had that, the ball in the net super quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, actually, in that moment, that felt a little bit like Atleti's offside goal against United. That was a big warning. Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. Good shout. And I because just it happened so soon after half time. Sorry to cut in, but like, because it through. happened so soon after half time. It was, I think Daniel Sakiri said on, um, uh, Twitter at halftime and I completely agree with him that Arsenal might rue not putting one of those chances away or creating a clear cut chance in the first half with all of the good Oh uh, of course they will it, Well there was that couple of, there was that one that Martinelli drib, uh, got to the byline Yeah and cut back right across the box mm. and no one was there to put it in and it was so dangerous and I'm not being funny but I picked a good week to anoint Martinelli as the gallivanter <laughs> I, well, here's the thing as well. I mean, I love, I love the idea of him moving central. I think that if he moves central eventually, I think he's going to be absolutely devastating because I think coming off the wing, but also through the middle, like his movement, but I've talked about crashing the box and we were discussing in the chat about Lacazette's movement fail in the first half and failing to anticipate where that ball was going. And you see him at the start of the movement when Martinelli is setting off on the run, you see Lacazette a few yards back at the top of the box and not making the decision. And that he's doomed from that point because when the ball comes in, he's a few feet off it and he should have absolutely been herring for the near post. And it's those margins because that's the run that he doesn't make and later on Firmino does make it. Liverpool had three shots on target, Arsenal had two, but just what Liverpool did with those, I mean, the first one, the Jota one is... Slightly frustrating from Ramsdale. That's such an annoying goal to concede. Mm. Because it kind of squirms in. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think Ramsdale, right. This is a prime example of, in my opinion, where David De Gea is the best keeper in the Premier League at using his feet. I think David De Gea goes with his feet there. That's interesting. So many keepers decide to go down with their hands in situations when actually moving your foot six inches would probably be easier. And you lose that split second, don't you? You have such a huge amount of work to do for a big guy. To get down that quickly, that's such an annoying goal to concede. And then Jota was literally coming off. I was like, oh, man, are you kidding? But um, I tweeted after the game that it was a fair result for a start. I said it was a good win for Liverpool and Klopp will know that they've been in the game. And I think that is the key. That's the key between, like a lot of people say, right, Arsenal are one of the only three sides in the Premier League not to score points against last season's top four this season so far. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, apart, the only one that was the real issue with that was the Man United game. And the two 
the Man City and the Chelsea game earlier on in the season where Arsenal were a mess. Arsenal were bottom of the league in September. Arsenal were bottom of the league in September. Wild. But I said for Arsenal, it was nothing to panic about. In terms of the direction of travel. Yeah, exactly. Direction of travel. But also, it actually, I think, is a really important reminder of the level to get to. Because Liverpool weren't hugely better in all areas, but they've had a couple more years development. And obviously, listen, you can bring Salah off the bench and Firmino off the bench. Right. It's quite handy. You know, so obviously Arsenal are one or two transfer windows away, maybe three from being that level. But still, Arsenal caused Liverpool so many problems. Like Martinelli gave Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is a much better defender than people give him credit for. But he gave him a horrid time down that side. They had to double on him. They had to double. They yeah. still couldn't still Sometimes they tripled him. on him. Couldn't stop him. Yeah, yeah. This was one of those like good, good results all around in a sense. I mean, obviously from an Arsenal point of view, Getting a point from that would have been perfect. But I think this refocus is ahead of the Villa game now, which is hugely important. And if Arsenal win that game against Villa on Saturday, that is a good week. While losing to Liverpool in the middle is disappointing, but it's not, it's not like Arsenal got absolutely played off the park and lost 4-0. This wasn't for Liverpool. This felt like very much like one of those, felt very similar to the result in San Siro against uh, Inter. When they maybe, I think they were better here than they were against Inter. But when they've got away with it being like, or they've gone away from it being like, let's get the hell out of here. Let's just get is, the hell out of here. Go. That's let's a huge, yeah, yeah, that is yeah, massive. Yeah. Can we say the pass by Tiago though for the opener? Oh. That is what he was signed for. You know, we mentioned good, before about like hitting. Good and Tiago. <laughs> you can see the ball didn't want to leave his foot. Must I leave you? <laughs> Do you know who, who, were watch, who were watching on in most envy? The Liga footballs. Yes, yes. Oh, he left oh, us. The little kinky Liga footballs. Oh, Tiago, please come, please come to e- Liga and <laughs> slide rule me through the defence. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. The things you get away with this podcast. But yeah, so a really good win for Liverpool and not a good defeat for Arsenal, but a defeat that shows, I mean, a defeat with so many promising signs. Yeah, I mean, there are no good defeats, but it's, it's as close to a, you know, there is no need to panic. There right. is, and also, I think from an Arsenal point of view, it's easy to remember. I mean, it's easy to forget. It feels ahead of schedule. Yeah. Anything else on this game? No, Just all good. Martinelli in unbelievable. Klopp Martinelli as well. Klopp, listen, Jürgen, I love you very much, but please, please leave Bakayo and Gabby alone. It was a little bit too much praise from really Jurgen Klopp them, about yeah. some of the Arsenal boys. <laughs> uh, I would very much prefer if you'd stopped, please, Jurgen. <laughs> oh, can I say last thing on the Arsenal game? Go on. Benjamin White has Atletico Madrid at Stamsasia's career uh, written all over him. Right. <laughs> if there is one player in the Premier League who should absolutely be wearing his socks low, it's Benjamin White. Huge, huge Atleti energy there. In all respects. Can you imagine Benjamin White and Marcus Llorente on the same side? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. I did tweet about uh, Marcus Llorente looking like he was wearing cling film. I saw that. And I received, there, there was a lot of thirst. You drew, you drew everyone out. I drew everyone out. I received yeah, yeah. thirst. There was thirst on main and there was thirst in the DMs about Marcus Llorente. Name names. I'm not naming names. Names. Respectfully. I'm re- <laughs> Respectfully. All right, I'll turn the mics. When the mics are off, I want to name. I want names. All right, let's get out of here. Let's do it.
And we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are in the world. Make sure you try and do something fun this weekend, everyone. Do the fun stuff. I might go shopping and cook up a storm, I think. Oh, shit. Yeah, might get on it. Chef Okwonga in the house. Time for some Ugandan stew. The one with the peanut butter and the... I think the, so. Oh, oh that's might, really good, that. Might get amongst it. Yeah, that's good, that. Do you remember that Christmas day at mine? Yeah, we did. Good times. So. <laughs> Don't forget to check Wright's house on Ringer FC. Check the ringer.com. Some pieces going up. Oh, Moosey, we didn't even talk about your piece about Chelsea. That went up. Oh, that yeah, was that's really right. good. Oh, thank you. Go and check Moosey's piece about Chelsea on the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Stadio dot football scroll to the bottom put your email address in newsletter will go out this weekend and the stadio outros playlist on spotify search for stadio outros speaking of which we are playing out on if you see me 94 east featuring print anything you want to add Moose up on guys nothing further listen what can follow prince <laughs> have a lovely lovely weekend everyone much love stay safe stay well we'll be back on monday see you then This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.